Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. It is so good to have each and every one of you. If uh, you are new to Glory Church, I don't think I said my name earlier. I'm Greg. uh, You can say Pastor Greg. You can say uh, Greg, Gregory. I don't care. I will answer as long as you look at me. Um, PG, those kind of things. Um, Here I am. And so I'm honored to have you, though. We've been in a series for the past four weeks now uh, called Bringing It Home bringing it home. And uh, it has been, if you've been with us, you're like, you sort of tune out at the beginning. I get it because I say the same thing every time. Um, But this series has been all about taking the core values that has made up this church, which honestly, I've already told you, their core values that long before Glory Church came to be, they were our values at our home. There are our values in our marriage. These values, taking the core things that, that are why we do what we do and actually bringing them home. I think I've said this every week that we have a nasty tendency as, um, as people in the American church to hoorah and learn good things and hear good things on a Sunday and then leave it in that seat, right? As we go back home, we leave it. And so this whole series is actually about, if you want to put that, taking the values of glory into the many homes of glory. Taking the values of glory into the homes of glory. Because if you know anything about us, like this city won't be changed by a church building. This city won't be changed by a Sunday morning gathering. This city will be changed when homes are changed. When the Monday through Sunday living and breathing is being redeemed, when marriages are restored, when children realize that they are, are, are adopted into this, the kingdom of God, when, when we come to realize that this is real, this is not just some fake thing, but God is real. And so over the past few weeks, we've been diving into our values. If you've missed any of them, you can find them on our podcast. Maybe you're joining in online right now. It's so good to have you. Um, but we have, we have six core values And the first one, if you remember, was that we live his truth. Uh, We don't just learn the Bible, but we're going to be a church that lives it. And so that means like you're going to have to see the nasty way that truth has changed me. Because can we all be honest? When God's word changed you, it dealt with some bad things, right? (laughs) It dealt with some lies. It dealt with some hardship. It dealt, it changed things. And so living his truth is showing that, that hit, that collide where God's word met me. That's living his truth constantly. And so we talked about that. Week two, we said our second value is that we love our neighbor. And that's a very biblical thing, uh, right? That we love our neighbor. And we talked about how you can't love who you're above. You can't love who you avoid. And you can't love the things that you enable. And so we won't be a church that keeps silent about the hard truths. I mean, racism is real. Sexism is real. The, the issues, social injustice is real. Uh, marriages that are, that are acting with smiley faces, yet their heart, hearts are broken, those are real. And so we want to enable that to remain as a church. And then we talked last week, week three, value three, that we serve our home, that we take ownership of our places of influence. Uh, our first, our, our real homes. Uh, some of you, 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 you felt this call to actually actively take into account what you're doing behind closed doors. Good. That's how we serve our home. And then it flows out. We talked about that last week. But this morning, I'm excited because our fourth value is one um, 
that sounds a little interesting. You're like, why would that be the value of a church? But once you see the heart behind it, you'll be like, that's the value of my church. And it's just that we celebrate our diversity. We celebrate our diversity. Now, I, the reason I say this is um, I know for a fact heaven will not be full of Greg's. I mean, there'll be a few of us because, uh, I mean, there, there's a good number of, of Gregory's, St. Gregory's, we're there, all right? But it won't be full of just Greg. It'll be full of people who have a different background, a different look, a different education, a different problems. There'll be people who are felons in prison, then though that are in prison, in heaven, that though the, the earth will always call them felons, the kingdom calls them redeemed. And so I, there's this powerful difference. I mean, there will be people who just on their deathbed made it into heaven because a man humbled himself, went into that hospital room and prayed with them. And so no matter the background, there is a diversity in heaven. There will be, there will be ages, difference of life lived. Some people lived 30 years on earth. Other people lived 80 years on earth. All will be found in heaven. So the most dangerous thing we can do as a church, as a people, is to just uh, surround ourselves with Greg's, right? If you're Greg, or, you know, surround yourself with, uh, with whoever fits your mold. So we will celebrate our diversity. Another way that we've said this is that we make community and unity an absolute priority. We make community and unity an absolute priority. I, I was asked a lot um, why, why do you want to, why do you want to lead a, a multi-ethnic, a diverse church in age? Why do you want to do that, Greg? And I was like, I, it's not that I just have this like desire to do it. And so I'm going to go do it. I, I'm called to Kansas City. And have you ever realized like the urban cores and anywhere that's just, there's a hodgepodge of people. And if you're going to plant a church in an urban area, you better, you better look then like the urban area. You better have then homeless people in your church. You better have uh, the rich, the poor, everyone in between. You better have any, any age, all ages should be welcomed in. Any, any ethnicity should be found in the room. And so why? Because we make community and unity an absolute priority. But if you know, like, <laughs> it's interesting, like the word unity, sometimes uh, you think of similarities then. But we're not united because we look alike or even think alike. Some of you, you think very different than I do. Uh, we're, we're not united because you have the same background as me. We're not united because you have the same giftings as me. We're not united because of anything other than the spirit within us. And so real community and real unity is based off of that. And interestingly enough, like your home needs that too. Like interestingly enough, your street needs the unity that the spirit provides. Interestingly enough, your marriage needs the unity that the Spirit provides. We need it. And so, like, I, I wrote this down. I want our community. You can also scratch that out and say, um, my family, to hang on the similarity of being humans in need of a Savior. We, we, that's our, our unity, is in our need for Him. And when I say that, when I, when I believe that, like, things start changing. You see, Isaiah, we'll get into some cool prophecies in a bit. But there's this beautiful thing, um, and especially as the pandemic has hit and believers have, have went different directions on their opinions. 
I've, I've held tight to this prophecy of Isaiah, which says that under the banner of Christ, are you ready? Under the banner of Jesus, the lion will lay with the lamb and they will have peace. The, the, the child will play with the serpent. And under the banner of Christ, there will be peace among things that seem to be warring. And so, like, I, I don't know about you, but in my home, I got four kids. They were in here. I have kids that are more like lions. And I got, ki- I got, I got one who's as, uh, as cunning as a serpent. The Bible says, like, right? I, we, we, we got, like, some gentle as doves in our home. Like, we, we have some, some peaceful, submissive lambs in our home. But without the banner of Christ, like, can I just be the first to say, our house is a hot mess. Uh, like, it, it is. Like, Without the banner of Christ, because under that, under him, we can find unity. And so this, like, this value is needed for you. Because, like, without him, our differences would be reasons to butt heads. But in him, our differences are shifted, submitted, and used for his glory, for the betterment of his people, for the advancement of his kingdom. It's really powerful. And then, like, if everyone in my household was a hand, we would not be moved very well, right? But also in my household, there's the arm, which helps advance the hand. There's the shoulder, which helps give movement to the arm. All in my house is, is the gifts. And, and so celebrating diversity means uplifting those gifts, giving voice. That when the, uh, when the city says this background of... of of being in the, a correctional facility means that you can't have X, Y, or Z or can't speak X, Y, or Z. We say, no, they're gifted and they speak X, Y, Z because they have power in the name of Jesus. And so there's gifts that happen when celebrating diversity. That means the, the elderly in the room, we need your experience We need your voice. We need your power. We need the authority that God has given you. Oh, and and all the ways that he has shaped you. And so at Glory Church, like that is so needed. I wrote the life lessons learned by by you will not be silenced here. But I have a question, like as we get into this, like honestly, what would happen to your home if unity and community were an absolute priority? What would happen in your home? Like, really think about it. What would you do differently if unity was an absolute priority? If community was an absolute priority? Things would be different. It would look a little different. You see, before Jesus' death, um, I call this precious Jesus. I don't know why, but chapter 17 of of the Gospel of John. If you want to write that down, uh, we're not going to have it up here, but I will will paraphrase it for you. Um, I was in a a Gospel of John class in my school, uh, and we had to memorize every theme of every chapter. And so I have a whole song. It's, it's really, but I, it's one that I did. If you know anything about me, that just fits with my weird thinking. But chapter 17 was precious Jesus chapter because Jesus is praying in chapter 17 for his disciples. He prays for them that they would be protected and safe. And then he starts praying for the many disciples who would come because of his disciples. It's really cool. He starts looking beyond his 12 men and starts praying for the ones, the future ones who would come to know him. And like, spoiler, that's like you, me. That in John 17, Jesus prayed for you. And guess what he prayed for? 
Was it um, that you would be blessed? Was it that you would know your gifts and exercise them? Was it that you would be, um, you would have authority? Was it that you would uh, be prosperous in your field? No. He literally says over and over and over in so many words. Like, he just keeps saying it. I'm like, dude, you're saying the same thing, just different words. He says, I want them to know that they have me and you, that, that you and me would be in them. And that they would be one together. That, and he just all, like over and over, that they, you and me and me and you would be in them and they would realize that they're one. He just keeps saying it. That they would have oneness. That they would be united. He could pray for anything. For protection. He could pray for anything. But he chose unity. He chose unity. You see, I, I think the issue though is um, we look at this reality and we minimize that claim. We strive to make our friend group united. We strive to have unity in a small category, but we don't fight for the unity of the kingdom. It's easier for us to be united with people that we like, right? It's really hard for us to be united with people that think differently, but believe in the same savior. It's really hard for us to be united with people that are new and they're struggling with the things that we are done struggling with. Why aren't they doing it? Like, why aren't they doing the right thing? It's really hard for us to be in un- unity with people that are different. But it's, it's I, I wrote this down. Like, if you think about it, we miss something extraordinary about God's glory when we put a cap when we put a cap on who we will be one with. Can you put that up? Like we miss out on something extraordinary about his greatness, his glory, when we cap who we will be one with. Like you're the one who's hurt. You're the one who's missing out. When you only hang out with the people who are in your age group or who think the same thing about everything going on in this world that you do, when you only hang out with people who are, are, are married, if you're married, you're missing out on the greatness of God's glory. It's powerful. If you only hang out with people who are of a different ethnicity than you or the same ethnicity and you don't see the power when we all come together and you learn from literally different cultures, we miss it. We cap God's glory. And why do I mean that? Like, there are some of y'all, your, your backgrounds, your cultures, naturally understood the power of the divinity better than my American culture did, right? Like, and then when God redeemed you, you were like, oh, I remember as a child, my mom taught me like this, and that's not in my childhood. But you saying, like, God redeemed this, and now things make sense because of my culture. He shaped it. I need to hear that nugget. Because I didn't get that. I didn't get that in my household. Like, I, I didn't. But I need, your, I need your input. We miss out on something so extraordinary. I believe that Jesus, like, foreknew something. As he's praying, precious Jesus, he knew, uh, he knew that the Jewish men who are teaching now would soon to be um, overwhelmed with the Gentiles coming in. He, he knew that there would be people who worshipped idols and uh, who were part of literally worshipping in, in, in sexual ways. All come, he knew all of these other religions would come to know the one true God and be brought into a kingdom. He knew that people like who were, who were all different would come to have him. And he's like, 
without unity, that's going to be bad. Like for real, without unity, without my spirit making them united, they're going to fight. They're going to divide. They're going to conquer things that don't need to be conquered. So Jesus, Jesus says, I, I want unity, Father. Let them just be one. I want them to be one. And so honestly, he knew, uh, I wrote this, think about it. Heaven will be full of people who are very different. But on earth, those differences, the nations, we have the ability to showcase heaven now through our unity. And that's why I love. You have the ability to uniquely show the world heaven when you're united with someone who looks, thinks, has a different background with you. When you become a brother, with the many. It's so powerful. Like, I will be the first to say, though, <laughs> I will be the first to say, Pastor Greg said this, okay? You can say that man said it. I will be the first to say that I halt my ability to be united with you. And the leading reason that I struggle to be united with you is my personal experiences, my personal preferences, my behind, like my backside, my uh, past. And you're like, whoa, whoa, what? Aren't we supposed to celebrate that? Yes. Listen to this. You ready? My wife should celebrate and honor my testimony. We should celebrate our history and background, but I should never let that dictate how I act now. Does that make sense? The, you, in other words, I will honor your history and your background. I will honor the stories of your past, but we disrupt unity when we take our past and let it direct us now. And it's really, another way we'd say this, if you want to write this out, we go to what we know as humans. You do. We will always go to what we know. And I just tell you, I know different things than you do, and you know different things than I do, and all of us were born and raised in this fallen world, and so we know a whole lot of sin. We know a whole lot of sin. We know that uh, when someone punches us, we've seen it on TV, that it's really easy to punch back. That's a, we know that that's a natural reaction. We know that when people smile, some of you have it in your background, when people are smiling at you, you know to not trust them. Why? Because that's your background. We, some of you, you go to what you know. You know that, that not all authority is good authority, and so now you question authority. You, we go to what we know always, and sadly, I know a lot more about the sin than sometimes we do him. We know a lot more about sin than what we do the, the, the good word. And we'll always, and so this is another way that you could say this is like, my natural fleshly bend will always be to let my, dic- my, my, my experience dictate or word where I go. It is. My natural fleshly bend is to say, well, I experienced that yesterday, so, so I, I, I'm going to move forward with that knowledge. And you're like, well, what's the bad thing about that? Well, because then you get redeemed. You get changed by Jesus, and you sit at a table. So, you know, the Bible talks a lot about this table of the Lord. Has anyone ever heard that? It's a really cool analogy, this table of the Lord. And he, he plans a meal for us. And so then if you let your experience dictate, 
your direction, you're going to be sitting at that table. And if you've ever uh, right-hand people, if you've ever sat next to a left-hand person, you're like, bro, give me space. I'm trying to eat. And if you ever sat, you start realizing that some people eat very awkwardly. And why are they going, or why, like, why are they, why are they doing that? When you sit at a table, you start realizing that people are weird when they consume things. This brother's over here is, is slurping his soup. And, and so you start realizing at the table that there are some differences. Not only that, some of you at the table are starting to realize that their meal looks better than your meal. Why do they have a better meal? Why does theirs look better than mine? At, a, at the table, you start realizing, why'd they get that one? They're, they're, they got more food than I got. At the table, you start realizing these things. And if you go to what you know, you will end up sinning at that table, right? You will end up sinning at that table because what you know often is how to compare, how to justify, how to get what you want the way you want it. And at the table, things are supposed to be done differently, right? Does that make sense? Because one of two things will happen. One, you start realizing the differences in the room and you, uh, you don't want to call it out. And some of you are this way. You don't even want to bring it up. And so you don't show up spiritually, emotionally, mentally. Some of you, you've come into this church and yet you still struggle to believe that you're loved and cared for and so you won't put the walls down to be vulnerable. Because at the table, if other people are talking really loudly, then do you really have something to say? And it's, it's, it's really crazy. Or the other opposite happens. You start realizing all the differences and you pinpoint if that's a reason that you don't belong there or if it's a reason that they don't belong there. But at the table... Everyone has been redeemed. Now, are they like getting clean still? Yes. But are they there? Yes. Are they justified? Yes. Are they getting sanctified? Yes. Do you wish the sanctification would happen faster for that person? Yes. But we're here. You know what I mean? Like this is, unity has to happen. And so like, I, if I could just like say something, each of those responses that you have are being dictated by something else, right? They're being dictated by fears. They're being dictated by worries or concerns or frustrations. But I, 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 wanna, I wanna want you to write something down if you're taking notes. This is something that I want you to speak in your home. I want you to speak into your place uh, of influence, your work. I want you to speak to this church. It's this, I will get my lead from heaven. I'm not going to be led by my past. I'm not going to be directed by my fears. At the table, I'll get my lead from heaven. I'll get my lead from heaven. Uh, at the table, I will get, because honestly, like, you eat different than I do. You like different foods than I do. You know different things about foods than I do. You have differences of opinion about foods than I do. Some of you, you are ugly while you eat. Others of you, you're messy while you eat. But at the table, those qualifications, those characteristics, those attributes, they don't make or break anything. But instead, they're things that God has and is using for his glory. And so I'll say, your background, it, it doesn't make you who you are, but they're things, their attributes that God is using for his glory, and I want to know about it. 
Does that make sense? But the danger is when you let that dictate how you act. Whew. When you let that dictate how you live. No, I will take everything that has happened, I will take it to heaven, and I will get the lead by what, what God says about that. Like, he's going to direct me. He's going to lead me. And so, uh, there's some prophetic pictures in the Old Testament of this unity, of this church. I already told you one with the banner of Christ. But there's a really powerful one that we're going to be uh, just sitting in and then ending in this morning. And so, if you want to, like, find it, it's Micah chapter 4. All right, we're going to be diving into Micah chapter 4. This is actually the second time that you read this sort of prophet, like, prophetic word. It's also spoken in Isaiah 2, but the, I like the Micah one, all right? I like the way you worded it. Uh, and so we're, we're reading Micah chapter 4, and you will see that um, the unity that's talked about here is one powerful, but too hard. <laughs> and so it says this, uh, it'll be up here as well. It says, it will come to pass in the later days, in the latter days, that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the highest of the mountains. And it will be lifted up above the hills and all people shall stream to it. And many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And it says, then he will judge between many people and he will decide disputes for the strong nations far away. And they will beat their swords into plowshares. They will beat their spears into pruning hooks and nation will not lift up a sword against the nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they will sit every man under his vine, under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of the hosts has spoken. It says, for all the people, each will walk in the name of its, its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. Now, what it's picturing is this beautiful image of a house of God that is on high. We could say a city on a hill that is never going to be hidden. Does that sound familiar? Who spoke that? And was it a future thing or a present thing? It was a present thing. You are a city on a hill. You see, the powerful thing about this prophecy is it's happening and will happen again. It's happening now, but it's a not yet as well. But literally, the church, uh, if you want to hold off on that, if literally the church uh, is a, a, a strong mountain, it says. And if you saw that, if you want to go to the first slide of it, uh, it's like slide 10. It says literally that the house of the Lord will be like a mountain. And I love this, all people, you want to put the, the first one, uh, all the people will stream to it. Now, I don't know if you know anything about like streams of water and mountains, but does water stream up to a mountain? Think of it like, Literally, it's saying what I build and what will be there and then come in the fullness, what it will be is countercultural. 
It doesn't make sense that these nations will stream to it. It doesn't make sense that it'll happen. The people will stream upward. That as the world's like trying their own thing, they're looking and seeing that it doesn't make sense that these people are going there. These people are together. That these people are, that it's, are being drawn into this. It's countercultural and it's beautiful. It's so powerful that the message that we have the, the draw to it doesn't make sense. But at the same time, it's so powerful and beautiful. And so he then continues this idea of the, the church being united, I, I'll tell you, is a hard one to grasp. It's easier said than done. Because uh, the voice of that unity, the voice of celebration, come, let us hear from the word of the Lord, the voice of excitement, the voice of praise and, and, and honor, it gets squashed out pretty quick by our mouths because of another voice. And if you want to write something down, this is where we're landing this morning because the, the last section of this speaks into it. But if you want to know in our modern day church, the voice of unity and celebration, it is dramatically halted by the voice of defense the voice of defense. You know what that means? It means when you walk into a place, you instantly put your defenses up. When you walk into a place, you have your sword ready. You already learned how to do a war. You already know when things don't go your way, you can, you can protect yourself pretty well. You see, the voice of defense will dramatically hurt unity. Always. In other words, our world actively says, I am my own defense. You want to put that? The world says, I am my defense. Think about it. Like, some of you, you, you actively operate with this and don't even realize it. You trust yourself more with yourself than you do anyone else. Why? Because you're your own defense. We, we, we live this way still, where we can be in an argument with our spouse and we're already ready to put up our defenses. Actually, we do this to the point where we can even be in a conversation. It's not even an argument. We're just talking about uh, the dishes. We're just talking about the meal. And already we're, we're putting up a defense to separate us from another. We do this all, all the time. You walk into this room. Some of you did it. I'm sorry that it's a little packed. I get it. I'm sorry that there's not enough room. One day we'll have a building and there will be an ability to have a lot of chairs. But you all, you know. When something is not what you expected and you walk in, the defense is made. If you walk in and everyone looks different than you or you walk in and you can't find anyone who looks similar, your defense is made. We do it all the time. If XYZ isn't happening, the defense comes. It's, it's so sad. I wrote some things down. I do this. I create walls between me and others, barriers to keep uh, me safe because I've been hurt before, defense. We don't want to talk about certain things, especially in the church, because that's like, that's like non, you know, just non-talk about, you know, those are non-talk abouts. And so we put up a defense. We put on masks of false strength or this tough skin. We steer clear of people who will hurt us or even people who look like the people in our past that's hurt us. Some of you do that. You won't even go around someone because they remind you of someone who's hurt you because you're to your defense and you got to protect yourself. We have this mindset a lot. We arm ourselves with mechanisms. Some of you, you stonewall. Others, you, you, got, a, you got a quick mouth. You got a quick wit. You'll joke really fast about it. It's a defense. 
I remember when my mom died, the first thing that I could do was laugh. And I had to make a joke. I had to make it, I just didn't know how to deal with like my emotions. So my defense, right? I am my defense. I, I can't feel this. I'm going to joke. So you do that. We, we are our own defense far too often. And it's, it's bad. It hurts us. We protect ourselves from bad thoughts. And so we go into things like um, substance abuse. We don't want to feel that anymore because I'm my own defense. And this stuff happens all the time. But can I just tell you, like, that's not the way of the table. That's not the way of the kingdom. In fact, like, we play the role of the defender and it makes sense. Like, it, it's justified in our worldly sense. You were abused as a child, and so you've got to protect yourself. You were treated, uh, you were treated with racism from a coworker, and so you have to, you have to protect yourself. You were treated as, as uh, negatively as a woman, and so you, you have to defend yourself. I get it. it there's, there's valid reasons why we put up defenses, but at the table, God's calling us to change things. In fact, like, if you think about it, the kingdom of the world says it is your right to defend yourself. The kingdom of the world says it is your right to defend yourself. But the kingdom of God is that we've been made right by his defense. Does that make sense? In the kingdom of the world, it's, it's, it, it is your right. But in the kingdom of God, you have been made right by his defense. It's this powerful difference. There is... I'm not my defender. God is my defender. I'm not my defender. God is my defender. Did you know the only time that Jesus ever defends himself is uh, Mark 3, chapter 3, verse 20. If you want to write, read that later, you can. It's the only time when he defends his divinity because someone is questioning his divinity in a, in a very interesting way. They're calling him Satan. Like they're, and he, so he has this whole encounter, like Beelzebub gets thrown into that. And you're like, what? You just read it later. He gets spit on. He gets called a blasphemer. He gets called a liar. He gets hit. He gets beaten. And he never justifies himself. He never takes up arm against anyone. He never, he never fights for his, his name. He never proves his power when they question him. It's really powerful. He is not his own defense. He knows the Father is my defense. And so it's just like, it's, it's powerful to see. And those of you who are like, Greg, where are you getting this from the scripture that we just read? It's, it's at the, the last section. Because as people of God, he will always call us God will always call us to take what we are arming ourselves with and sit it down. And he will call us to always take what we're arming ourselves with in, in, in a fight or in a, in a defense mechanism and to sit it down and he will settle our disputes. He will take what is a division into unity. In fact, it literally says he will judge as him, as our defender, he will judge between the nations. He will make, decide, and, and make the disputes clean like he will. And it's really powerful. The people will beat their swords into plowshares. And you're like, what? They will beat their spears into prune hooks. In other words, uh, there's something happening in our souls when we come to know Jesus. Maybe you felt it. He likes to shift and change things a bit. You know that, right? There's something happening in our spirit 
when Jesus comes and evade, that as he comes and is placed at the, at the throne of our life, we will all of a sudden start taking down things that were um, a guard for ourselves, ways to arm ourselves, and we will start realizing in his kingdom, this, this God has got all the power. He can do all the, the protection. He can do everything that wants that what was once used for war will be used to cultivate life. Like literally, uh, sword into a plowshare. Do you want to put that up? Like that's a weird word. We don't really work with plowshares very much. But a plowshare, I had to, I had to look this up. It is a sharp iron blade attached to a beam of the plow. And it's used to dig the ground to cultivate the soil. In other words, what was used for their protection to keep them safe what was used to, to, to arm them, what was used to train other people to arm themselves will be, will be beaten, put into submission by the individual and used to cultivate life, used to cultivate soil. Another one, it says a spear to a pruning hook. You know what that is? It's this vine knife. It's a knife, no longer a spear, to arm and literally bring death. But now it's going to be transformed into a hook that, that cleans a, uh, a harvest, a crop from its fruit so that you can gather the fruit and feed many people. Like it is a pruning hook, a tool used to collect the fruit. In other words, I, uh, I got a word for you. God is saying, as I take root in her, as I take root in him, as I become on the throne in their life, as I claim to be their defender, they will actively take every weapon that they've used in their past, every story that has armed every reason why they won't move forward. They will take every past memory, every fear, and they will actively put it in submission to be used for life. As I do this, in other words... I prayed over this, so I'm just, some of you have very sharp tongues. Some of you have very sharp tongues. And the people in your life have been hurt by it. And you're teaching and training people for war. And God has said, the war is over. Put your weapon down. Some of you have sharp tongues. You're quick to arm yourself. You're to tear someone down very quickly. You're going to protect yourself. Why? Because in the past you had to. Why? Because that's how your mama did it when she was abused. Why? Because that's what you do to arm yourself with strength. That's what you do to, to, to show that you are not, you're, you're fed up. That's how you handle things. Some of you have sharp tongues. But as I was praying over this, you know who you are. As I was praying over this morning, God said, I need you to give them a vision. Because their tongue, if they just submit it under me, will still be sharp, but it's going to dig in the soil of my people. It's going to dig in the soil of their coworkers that when the word is heard, it'll be a good soil because their sharp tongue has been submitted under and has been used to cultivate life. My people, if you would just, if, 
take their sharp tongue and turn it into a, a pruning hook. Some of you, you start spitting off all the negative things in people. Start spitting off the fruit that you see in others so that you can collect it in them and, and glorify the Lord in it. Stop saying the hateful things to protect yourself and step in and start calling out the thanksgiving of the Lord and how he's working in people. Be a pruning hook. Gather the fruit that is going on in your home that you can present it to the Lord. Stop, stop fighting in bitterness. But there's more, like, some of you, another one, like, you don't do things because of your past. And every memory, every issue, every fear from yesterday is your defining reason to not do today. To not do that, to not step in there, to not go there. And that's your defense. Under the submission of Jesus, I literally I felt like he said this morning, there are going to be many in your church who won't step forward because of what is yesterday. But I, as they submit it to me, they will start realizing that every one of their reasons, every one of their backgrounds, every one of their uh, hardships will actually be mended and used to cultivate the soil in others. In other words, the abuser will meet abuse victims and there will be life from it. The abuser will come to terms with what they did, and other people who've abused people will come to know the love of Christ through them. Why? Because what has been their armed defense will be used for God's glory to cultivate and change. Is this making sense? Like, I'm trying to make this very practical for some of you. You, you put reasons to why you won't serve. And God's like, no, I want that to be the reason why you step in and serve. So you, you, put, you make reasons. No, some of you will disciple based off your past, but not because you're using it to, to, to claim and dictate now, but because you've submitted it to God. And he's calling you to now prune, to tend, to mend. Very practically, you being a defender of your home is the worst thing you could do for your home. Pray the Lord's defense over your home. Pray the Lord's defense over your home. And so I just, as we end this morning, like, I just wrote, end. Like, I just, just know, like, there are some things that you guys have used as uh, your swords, that are not the word of God. That, honey, that's not your sword. <laughs> Some of you have been, you, you've used things and under the leadership of the Lord, you need to start submitting them down and say, God, use this. I'm tired of using that memory as a reason to not step forward. I'm tired of using that fear as a reason. And so God, I just pray right now in this place, that we would come to realize that every wall that we build up, goodness, it hurts us. God, I pray that we would come to see that, that we would come to see that you cannot, you cannot be unified with people when you are quick to defend yourself. God, I take every opportunity that I've had in the past to defend myself, God, and forgive me for it. 
God, as we look at our life and the relationships in it, the moments where we defend ourselves, pray that we submit them. God, there are sharp-tongued people, men and women in this place, that you're wanting, you're asking them to discipline their mouths, to beat it into submission, and to let you change everything. There's a different education that happens in the kingdom. As we celebrate with unity, you're asking me to come as I am, but to also get my lead from you. So God, I just pray for a a, a church that welcomes people in because we're a church not full of, of people with swords, people with spears, but we're a church full of people ready to do the work. You say the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And the workers are few because we got many who have not put their mouths to submission. They've not put their past to submission. They've not put those walls to submission. I just had this image of um, a wall that you put up often when that word gets said or a wall that gets put up often when you are in a room with someone and you don't want to be vulnerable, a wall that gets put up often to keep your se- you, yourself safe. I just had this, uh, the image of God saying, your ability to build a wall, I'm going to redeem it. And there's going to be people who are in need of a home, are in need of safety, are in need of my arms, my hands, my structure, and you're going to build a wall for them. You're going to show them my hands around them. Some of you are wall builders, and God's ready for you to submit it and use it not for your defense, but for people's lives to be changed. May we worship you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.